0: Welcome, and once again, thank you for joining this verse-by-verse Bible study. I'm your host, Randy Duncan, and today we're in episode 15. We're going to knock out all of chapter 5. Real quickly, though, in the last episode, we discussed, if you remember, Cain's punishment for killing Abel, as well as that ever-popular question of, where did Cain get his wife? And we mentioned a couple of different possibilities. Now, chapter 5 is a chapter here that many people even if you're reading through the book of Genesis, a lot of times you'll just quickly skim over or some people just skip this one entirely because it really is just a a list of people and their ages and their descendants. And so some people take the kind of the perspective of, hey, look, you know, nothing important to see here, move on. And then they skip on over to chapter six. However, there's plenty of worthwhile discussions that come from this chapter. So with that being said, Let's take a look at chapter 5, maybe with a fresh set of eyes, and see what we can learn. And the first two verses in chapter 5 read, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. So the first two verses here are just really a, a quick summary, reminding us that God created man in his own image. Now, I'm not going to go over or rehash this material again right here. Look, if you're interested um, and have not listened to that material yet, you can find it in, I think, episodes 7 and 8, where I discussed creation day 6 and God's creation of Adam and Eve. But I will point out one thing here in the first verse. It reminds us, yet again, that man was created in the image of God. And we discussed what that means in that earlier episode. And so if you believe that Adam and Eve are the only two people on the planet in the beginning, it also reminds us that we're all related. All of us. We're all related by Adam and Eve. And we're all created in the image of God. And it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how light or how dark your skin is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. Everyone is ultimately related. And everyone has inherent worth and value Because everyone is made in the image of God. And it is truly astounding to me personally, to be honest, that some people have yet to figure that out. Maybe we should all spend a little bit more time in God's Word. And a little less time listening to what the world and social media and the news outlets want us to believe. But I want to quickly move into what is the primary theme of chapter 5 here. Which is to trace the line of descendants from Adam to Noah. Notice how verse 1 begins here, that this is the book of the generations of Adam. Now this expression occurs only one other time in all of scripture, and that is in the very first verse of the New Testament, in Matthew 1.1, where it reads, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. So we see this expression in relation only to the first Adam and the last Adam. Did you know that? Be honest. Were you aware that the first 17 verses of the New Testament do nothing other than lay out the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Remember that God promised Adam and Eve that one of their descendants would defeat Satan. And as history unfolds, God would reveal more and more of his plan of redemption. And he would begin to, to zero in on exactly which line and through whom the Messiah would come. And eventually, we learn that the Savior would descend from Abraham and eventually through the line of David. And the genealogy of Jesus demonstrates that he was a descendant from the line foretold by God. And together with many other prophecies, demonstrates that he was in fact the Messiah, the promised Savior. Verses 3, 4, and 5 read, And when Adam had lived a 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So this is the first of 9 or 10 very similar sets of verses that lay out the line of descendants from Adam to Seth and ends at Noah. But this line of descendants that begins with Adam and Seth and on to Noah will ultimately end with Jesus. And each set of verses lays out the name, the age, how many years they lived after the birth of the son, the acknowledgement of other children, and then their total lifespan. So knowing how these verses are going to be laid out, let me quickly read through several of them, and then we'll go back and and talk about that. And I'll begin with verse 6. And when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he had fathered Enosh 807 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And when Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. And when Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared or Yared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Yared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. You're doing good. Hang in there with me for a couple of more verses, then we're going to pause just a minute. So verse 18 continues, And when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. And Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Now we're starting to get into some names that you're a little more familiar with. And Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So I want to mention a couple of things about Enoch here. It says that when Enoch was 365 years old that God took him. What does that mean that God took him? Well, First, Enoch's description here departs from the genealogical description of everyone else in the list. It doesn't say that he died, and that phrase, took him, it's much different from the meaning of the phrase, to take the life of someone, or or referring to some untimely death. Some commentators, in fact, even translate that phrase as to snatch away or to rapture. And It also says that Enoch walked with God, and this is a very rare expression. And it doesn't mean to to just live a good and righteous life. It means that Enoch enjoyed a supernatural and, and uh, an intimate fellowship with God. Enoch's life affirms that those who walk with God will ultimately experience life, not death. And for those Christians who believe in the rapture of the church, some believe that God taking Enoch before the flood is also a representation of how god will protect his church that is his believers from the great tribulation that's described in the book of revelation this is one of the verses they point to in support of the rapture they argue that this is a picture of the rapture which is god taking out his people before the judgment in other words enoch was righteous he walked with god so god took him god removes enoch he protects him prior to the judgment of the flood that was about to come, just like he will remove and protect the church prior to the judgment of the great tribulation in Revelation. So I want to go ahead and just knock out the last seven verses and then have some discussion about those verses. So verse 25 says, When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you've listened to any of the prior podcasts, you have to admit, that's a pretty quick 32 verses we just went through, especially at the pace that I've been going. But Shem, Ham, and Japheth are important here because all three of them will survive the flood. They will become the progenitors of mankind. And what we see is that Shem will become the father of the line of descendants resulting in the Semitic peoples. Ham will be the father of the line with African descent and Japheth will be associated with the European peoples. And just to be clear, the Lamech that's mentioned here in this genealogy, it's not the same Lamech that we discussed in the last episode. That Lamech was a bloodthirsty descendant of Cain. This is a different Lamech who was a descendant of Seth and the father of Noah and Noah is going to be the central figure over the next few chapters as we start to discuss the ark and the flood. But I want to shift gears here and talk about the elephant in the room in this chapter, which is the long lifespans mentioned and listed in this genealogy, and how in the world we can possibly make sense of someone that's living six hundred, 900 plus years. And because of these hard-to-believe ages, as they're called, many people just chalk it up to, to myth or, or to fable or legends. And so I think it's important for us to at least talk through this topic. And when we're looking at these long lifespans that are described, it seems like we have at least three different ways to approach these long ages. One is to see these numbers as symbolic or poetic in nature. Another way is to explore the possibility that the people back then measured years differently than we do now. And then, of course, a third possibility is that the people actually lived that long. So let's look at the first possibility, that the ages should be viewed symbolically. Now, there is, of course, symbolism used throughout the Bible and also even with respect to numbers. For example, certain numbers can mean something other than or in addition to also meaning a literal number of years so take the number 40 it can mean 40 of course but is also used as a number signifying a specific period of time and one in which god is involved so for example the 40 days and the 40 nights of rain associated with the flood the 40 years that the israelites wandered in the desert the 40 days and nights that moses was on mount sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, and then, of course, the 40 days that Jesus fasted in the wilderness. Again, these could have all been literal 40 days, but they could also simply signify a time of testing prescribed by God and not necessarily be exactly 40. So how would that apply to the ages that we see here in chapter 5? Well, some have noticed that there's symbolism in the numbers of years that Enoch lived before God took him which was 365, and of course that equals to the number of days in a year. Lamech lived 777 years, which somebody has figured out is equal to the synodic periods of Jupiter plus Saturn. And a synodic period, by the way, is simply how long it takes a planet to return to the same place in the sky relative to the sun and an observer on Earth. Yadred's 962 years equals the synodic periods of Venus plus Saturn. And there are other examples, but I think you get the point. And so the hypothesis here is that perhaps the cycles of a man's years may match the cycles of heavenly bodies, simply to show that their lives follow a a meaningful pattern and that they end with a completed cycle. So that is one option for interpreting the long lives in chapter 5. So what about the second option then? Well, what about, you know, the option that people in ancient days counted years differently than we do today? Maybe they used the lunar cycle, you know, the cycle of the moon to measure a year rather than a solar cycle or using the sun. Well, the problem there is that there's really just no evidence that people from ancient times counted time differently than we do. And if you remember from our earlier episodes during creation week, during creation day four, God created the sun, moon, and stars Not only because life on earth requires all of them, but that they were also to be used as signs and for seasons. But don't you think or believe for a minute that these people were unsophisticated or ignorant back in the day? As far back as the Babylonians and the Sumerians, these people were were very knowledgeable and sophisticated in their astronomical knowledge. They knew full well the motions of stars, the moon, and the planets. They tracked them. They predicted eclipses. And they certainly knew how to track and keep time. In fact, they were able to measure a year's time within just a few minutes precision. So in order to get at this another way, some people try and do all sorts of mathematical exercises and gymnastics and suggest that maybe they were using a Babylonian or Sumerian sexagesimal or a base 6 system of math versus our base 10 system. Or, or maybe they suggest they use lunar years rather than solar years so that one year back then equals 10 or 12 years today. Then it would make the lifespans very comparable to what we see today. The problem is when you do that and you apply it to the genealogies and the lifespans that we read in chapter 5, you get all sorts of weird things like men fathering children when they're like 5 or 6 years old. So the bottom line is that math simply doesn't work. So what about then the third option, that people actually lived as long as it's recorded in Scripture? I mean, but how is that possible? We need to keep in mind that these long lifespans are not the norm. I mean, even in the Bible, it's not the norm. After the flood, we see the lifespans begin to drop dramatically after God announces that man will live no more than a maximum of about 120 years. And that's still true today. So what we're talking about in the way of long lifespans was only for a very limited time. So Genesis 6 in the next chapter, it tells us what God did and why God did it, but it doesn't tell us how. Now some people have suggested that the long lives could be a result of of maybe a lasting or an enduring effect from Adam and Eve's diet from the tree of life prior to their fall. But that of course is, is pure speculation. But if we look for possible scientific explanations, there are a few possibilities worth mentioning. And although many have been suggested as impacting lifespans, I'll mention just a few just to give you a flavor of the possibilities. Now, one of the factors could have been the very low level of radiation from igneous rocks that these early people were exposed to. As you know, in our modern society, things like the burning of coal and paved roads, asphalt, concrete you know, all sorts of building materials. It guarantees our constant exposure to the radiation emanating from all these. Ancient people, on the other hand, would have had almost no exposure to this type of radioisotope decay. Another possible factor for the for the now shorter lifespans is the damage to our bodies from cosmic rays. I mean, by far, the most damage is caused by the cosmic rays from, from past supernova explosions, which or basically just giant star explosions. But these, along with pulsars, they produce by far the deadliest radiation. And there have been teams of astronomers from various countries that have identified a past supernova explosion occurring at the right distance and the right period in human history that would have reached Earth shortly after the Flood. So God may have used this, you know, in part at least, to shorten the lifespan shortly after the Flood. And the last one I'll touch on, without going into a biology lesson here, another potential factor uh, are the telomeres in our genes. Now think of telomeres as the timekeepers of a cell's life. And each time a cell divides, you know, it copies its chromosomes' DNA. And the telomeres signal the end of that copying process. But with each cell division, they grow shorter and shorter and they eventually disappear. Think of it sort of like a candle wick that just gradually shortens as it's burned. Eventually cells are unable to replicate, the damaged cells can't be replaced, and death is the eventual result. And guess what causes telomeres to shorten at different rates? Exposure to UV light. There's actually a lot of research going on in this area right now. In fact, in my office, I have a Time magazine from February of 2015. And on the cover is a, is a picture of this beautiful baby, this Gerber baby. And, and the cover of the magazine reads, this baby could live to be 142 years old. And it's interesting that nobody really questions that. And if we have the ability to potentially increase lifespans, don't you think God could have done the same? I mean, I've mentioned a few factors, but there are several others. And the truth is, there are simply some things that we don't yet know or fully understand. I mean, no one knows exactly how God regulated human lifespans. That truth remains shrouded in mystery for the time being. At the end of the day, all we can do is consider some reasonable, plausible explanations for the long lifespans. But as long as some reasonable scenarios exist... We can't just dismiss the truthfulness of the account and chalk it up to myth or even allow others to do so unchallenged. And we're going to see another example of that in the next episode when we are introduced to and have a discussion around the Nephilim. And if you've never heard of the Nephilim, believe me, you don't want to miss this next episode. But until next time, remember one thing about the list of the genealogy here in chapter 5. Even though they live for a very long time, With the exception of Enoch, what else did they all have in common? They all died. And the last time I checked, unless Christ comes back before then, so will all of us. That's right. None of us are getting out of this thing alive. And the sobering part is you have no idea when it's your turn. And it doesn't matter whether you live to be 59 or 959. You're going to look back and say that you can't believe how fast it went by. It will be upon you like a thief in the night. You think about how many people every day before they walk out the door, tell their family goodbye, love you, see you later, and then they never walk back through that door again. They had no idea that today would be their last day. So I encourage you to take advantage of the time that you've been given while you still have the ability to do so and consider the truth claims of Jesus. You know, Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And I think he was right. And many people today are just too busy or, frankly, uh, maybe just not interested in thinking about the eternal and everlasting matters. Too many of us are allowing the urgent to get in the way of the important. But at some point, you need to pause and seriously consider the truth claims of Christianity. I mean, there is no other worldview, no other ism or philosophy, no scientific theory, no other religion that explains all of the data of human history like Christianity does. If you're listening to this podcast and you're not a Christian, I pray that you just seriously, not superficially, but seriously consider taking another look and realize that simply having the knowledge, that's not enough. The Bible teaches us in James 2.19 that you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, even the demons believe. Even demons have correct knowledge, but that isn't doing them any good. Because knowledge alone won't save you. You must exercise trust in Jesus for what he has done for you to pay the price for your sin. And if you're listening to this podcast and you are a Christian, I pray that you would recommit to your faith to take it a little more seriously Spend a little bit more time in prayer and study and and realize who it is that you represent when you claim to be a Christian. God told us in Exodus 20 verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That doesn't have anything to do with cursing and saying GD. It's about ambassadorship and representing him to the world and realizing whose banner you're claiming to carry. And for all of us, I pray that we would heed the words of Socrates and examine our lives. But more importantly, that we would heed the words of God in Psalm 46.10, which say, Be still and know that I am God. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for hanging in there through a list of genealogies that I know you'd rather skip the page on many times. And I hope you'll join me in the next episode for our discussion of the Nephilim. And until then, God bless.